Join us for PR Safari, a podcast by Center for Public Relations. PR Safari, your ultimate guide to navigate the complex PR landscape in Africa. Find us at www.cpr.africa. Hello, my name is Chris Wangalwa. Our guest and guide today is Lillian Kimeto, Deputy Director, Communication, ICT Authority. My journey starts way back in the 80s when I would be looking after my father's cows and then borrow the family radio, then listening to Taifa, Radio Taifa and the husky voice of Leonard Mambo Botella and all those wonderful voices. And as a child in the Cherangan Hills, I always just wanted to meet these people. And probably as time went by, I just felt I wish I can become Elizabeth Omolo. So did you want to be a journalist or a PR practitioner? Whatever it was. But then my studies took me on a different route, and I did education. I'm a trained teacher, and I've been a teacher of English and literature, where I taught for three years. And um, it never left my mind that I need to go into mass media. Maybe that's what I was calling it at that time. You have a TAC number? 388254. <laughs> Registered okay. and licensed to teach. I can walk to any classroom today yes. and teach English or literature. So, much as I went into teaching, my heart always wanted to go back to this world of Elizabeth Omolo and Leonard Mambo Botella and all those players. And I remember one time I actually wrote to KIMC. As a student at Kenyatta University, I wrote to Kenya Institute of Mass Communication if they could train me uh, while I'm training as a teacher at uh, Kenyatta University, also be a student at KIMC. It was declined. Because? Because I just thought I will not be in teaching for a long time. Okay. Yes, because I, I get very intrigued, Chris, about humans, the way humans process their thoughts the way humans uh, transmit their thoughts, their ideas. It's a very intriguing world for me. And it's I've always wanted to have a deeper dive to have that appreciation and understanding. And I guess that's why my path kept, you know, my, my ship kept... Uh, Sailing. Yes, okay. to the mass media space. You're a deputy director, but before that you were somewhere. Yes, so as I continued teaching... I would always be on the lookout for jobs where there is an element of media. And one time I saw an opening where the public service required media research officers. I put in my application and I got a job. And my role was to just research, look through hundreds of documents and get facts and figures that can go into speeches. So that was the first thing I did as a media research officer. For who? And uh, at that time, I worked at the Presidential Press Service. So you were part of the speech writers for Moi? Yes. Not writer. Researching. Okay. Yes, not writer. Things or For example, over. maybe one type of speech that was required is something to do with trade in East Africa. So you look at all the protocols. You look at the East Africa protocol. You look at... 
you get data from the Kenya National Bureau of Statistics, the Ministry of Trade, and all these all these places. You consolidate that data, and then now you create coherency. You worked in the Ministry of was it Department of Housing or Ministry of Housing, and there were some very interesting things that you guys achieved, especially around diaspora. Expound, please. So my journey as an um, information officer took me also to places like the Ministry of Roads, the Ministry of Livestock. But the one that was very interesting was the Ministry of Housing, where I was for many, many years. I think that's where I've served longest as a government information officer. The minister at that time, the late Soito Shitanda, was very, very passionate about strategically positioning the housing function in Kenya because it had always been under the Ministry of Roads, Public Works and Housing or Social something. But that is the first time the Ministry of Housing became a standalone function. And so there was need to position Kenya's housing function. And uh, through the support of the minister and his peers, we did a lot. I remember two things. One, we did a program at Capital FM called Housing Matters. And we just got everyone thinking about the housing sector, the real estate, opportunities for investment, the building code and the housing infrastructure. And then the minister had a vision of supporting Kenyans in diaspora. We've all always had the horrid stories of Kenyans who send money to their relatives. And and there were these huge, humongous yeah. pictures of homes that never were. Yeah. So the minister at that time just felt there was need to support those Kenyans in diaspora through the National Housing Corporation to be able to channel those remittances. I supported the minister a lot. We had the London Housing Expo, which I was directly involved, and I'm always very proud that I did the London Housing Expo 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2010. Is it still on? I'm not very sure. But that was something that I am always very proud about. And whenever I hear diaspora issues being spoken about, I feel I made my contribution. How did you arrive or how did you achieve these expos? Take us through the whole process of this is the idea, this is the developmental process, uh, this is the communication planning that went into it until the first one was hatched. Now, let me tell you something, Chris, when you're working, when you're providing communication support for someone like a minister, the first thing is you must be able to understand their vision, to interpret their vision, because they are visioners. So from a communication perspective, what is it that they want? What do they want to achieve? I quickly realized the minister was very keen and very passionate about supporting Kenyans in diaspora to root their remittances in a structured way. And they needed awareness on how the um, just the Kenyan housing function and space, how it looks like. So for me, I looked at it as a sensitization for the minister to sensitize Kenyans on diaspora and create awareness to them that first there's a ministry for housing. It's there to support them in one to three ways. So that's how I looked at it, as the minister going to where the Kenyans are and sensitizing them on the role of his ministry, and I supported him in that. Then, while there, I would also wire stories home so that Kenyans home can see the kind of conversations and the kind of thinking that Kenyans abroad have. So 
again just connecting i believe in connecting people we spent about three months at the national archives while we were doing research on this whole project and one of the things we saw in the correspondence was that in the 60s early 60s or thereabouts there were correspondences that were alluding to the need to invest in the foreign countries to do the expos to market Kenya. I don't know whether you are the right person to tell us whether that thing is still going on, but it was a very noble idea. Then, of course, we know different organizations have different policies. I imagine there is supposed to be a national communication policy. I will speak as a practitioner. I'll give my own experience as an officer who has been involved in developing uh, communication policies. I keep carrying my definition of communication. Shared meaning. When an individual or a, an organization or a country decides they want a communication policy, they are just saying they want an approach, how they would approach their communication. Because a country is a communication system. It's an ecosystem by itself. An organization, even an individual, as Lillian, I have my own communication ecosystem. And so does a country. What I always look at when I sense there is need to develop a communication policy, I ask myself, is communication taking place? Because I believe for this shared meaning to take place, there is need for coherence, there is need for structure, there is need for a professionalized way of doing things, and that can only happen when there's a communication policy. Otherwise, it will just be hits and misses. And I'm sure everybody has a communication policy. Somehow, many of them don't work. Why? I would take it to the methodology. Every time... I'm asked to do a communication policy or when I sense it's time to do one. First, I ask myself, where, where are things at? Where are we at? Baseline, yes. Yes, you must have a baseline. You must have an audit so that you are able to appreciate that these are the issues. One, two, three, those are the issues. Because now when you will come to develop the do's and don'ts, the guidelines, the norms, it is to respond to these issues that you have flagged out. A policy takes into account several factors, like what are the values in that ecosystem. If it is an organization, for example, what are the values in that organization? What are the socio-political, economic dynamics? This organization is operating in which environment? You should have looked at these factors, and they will then inform the kind of policy that yeah. that organization would require. But policies are living documents. For example, if maybe one statement in a, in a communication policy is the spokesperson of that organization shall only be the CEO, and maybe you didn't have a board, then now the structure changes and they have a board. That means that particular policy will have to be reworked to say that for board matters, the spokesperson is a chairman, but now for the other aspects, it's a CEO. So it's a living document. And in the absence of the CEO, of course, you can... They will always be a designated yes. person, and there have to be reasons why and a criteria. From being a teacher, 
to the departments you've mentioned you worked with to now ICT, you probably have noticed the marking scheme for a communicator. What would that look like? I first want to say that um, the place of communication practitioners, public relations practitioners, is eternal. Even if technology comes, AI, it is eternal. Because as long as there is a people element in an organization, you know, we handle the people element, the relationships element, and that will always be there for as long as human beings exist. Number two, I would say you're as good as yourself. You're as good as your skills. You're as good as your knowledge, your experience. How are you exposing yourself to to gather a lot of experience? You're as good as the, um, the knowledge that you're building. And you're as good as your tenacity, your gut feeling. I remember recently telling someone in my organization, my gut feeling tells me, and he took me seriously. And, and I'm telling you the more she came. Okay. But now it found us very ready. ready. So yes, we yes, are yes, very yes. prophetic. And this is very important. Allow me to belabor this. If peer practitioners are going to create value for themselves in an organization, they must influence decision making in that organization. How? I've met those who can't even see a CEO. <laughs> can't even see the EMC, can't even get into contact with them. How, how can they, at least for those who do not have, and I'm speaking for the majority, you know, you, you, at where you sit, you literally can see anybody you want. There are those who, in the next 15 years, is when they will get to where you are. Let me tell you something, Chris. It can be as simple as reading the newspapers when you get to your office at seven in the morning or six for us, some of us, you go through the newspapers, then you, your eye catches something that's happening in your sector. Maybe the ICT sector where I am or the insurance sector for another person. Then your gut feeling tells you this problem may spiral and it may affect us. Then you know what to do? Just cut out that part of the newspaper read deep around that, look at your mandate. If it's an environmental hazard, for example, so where are we with environmental hazards? Then you anticipate, you build scenarios. Then you flash a memo to your bosses and say, this thing has been covered in the daily. So you do a cutout, you build scenarios, you anticipate, and you tell your bosses, I feel... We, there's a reputation risk for us in this matter. And sometimes the bosses will take it up. You start to see a few heads meeting. In future, that profit will not be ignored. Value always glitters. You know, the moment you start to, to inject some thinking into your newspaper cuttings, you flag out issues touching on the organization. And then they come to pass. You know, the way the Bible says you cannot put a light under the table. Yeah. Light will always shine. Do you have a way that you do your storytelling? As I said earlier, the people who inducted me into this industry are Elizabeth Omolo and Lennon Mambombotella. Why did they influence the mind of this very young child growing up in Ilgay Marakwet in the 
Cherangan Hills. And you mentioned that you were herding cows. <laughs> yes, yes. Good to know. Yes, herding cows or weeding the shamba. Largely, that's when we would play the radio somewhere, the family radio. But largely, I used to be sent to herd cows. I was a very good cow herder, and I, I still remember all our cows by their names and the favorite one that I used to get on top of. But back to storytelling. So there's a way Elizabeth Omolo connected with people through her voice. She was genuine. She was organic. She sounded sincere. She was coherent in whatever she did. And I think I have borrowed that methodology. When I'm talking about my organization, I look at what are the issues in society that are happening to people. So that when I tell the story about my organization, I, I'm telling it from an impact perspective. How impacting the lives of Kenyans based on the mandate that we've been given. And human beings respond to warmth. An organization is a living thing. It has a persona. Yes. So you're, even in our social media pages, we are warm. So that is my methodology. I actually treat an organization as a human being. And I imagine this human being making friends with other human beings. It can breathe. Yes. It can talk. It can cry and feel pain, yes. It can get annoyed. It is vulnerable. But what do you do when you're annoyed? You can laugh and have nostalgia. Yes. Uh, you know, your TBTs on a Thursday like today, you can have nostalgia. Mm -hmm. It's a living thing. Why do some organizations struggle even when they still pick all those things we are discussing? And they, you'd see that they still struggle in terms of engagement. I believe for me to be able to be seen to have engaged in a country where my audience is probably 5 million people or 10 million, at least let me have a conversion of 10% in one engagement, even if it's on social media, that 10% of those can be counted to have been engaging with us at a given time. And some organizations are doing well at that, some don't. What could be the successes of those who are doing well and the failures of those who aren't? Uh, Chris, I just look at it as uh, whenever there's a problem or whenever something is not going well, it tells you there's a problem. Yeah. It's just like a baby. When a baby cries, ordinarily a baby should just be able to play yeah. and laugh. But the moment you hear the baby crying, it's, there's a problem. It's hungry or something. So when you see that happening in an organization, there is clearly a problem. It could be, who did they hire? Did they hire someone with the right expertise? Or even if they have the right expertise, do they have the right attitude? Do they have the right methodologies? So it could be with a human resource. Or it could be in this communication system. There are gaps. Maybe there is a silo mentality. Maybe there is undervaluing of public relations. Maybe there is just accepting that this particular strategy is not working and not going on with it all the year and changing midway and starting afresh. I've maybe the, maybe there's lack of agi agility because one yes. of the things I'd, I'd say about our sector we must be very agile. If things are not working move to the next thing. Yeah. Keep moving until you hit the right node. I remember this organization I was supporting we had to tear apart the whole strategy because it was just not working. One month into it, it doesn't seem, this is not me. I cannot be dealing with 
some 20 likes it's not me so we just did away with the whole strategy and we went on the go and we realized ah so this is what people want and now that goes back to the organic that you were talking about and and the relatability that you were mentioning i think that should be the way to go not many of us would go that way of course i think and you can advise us sometimes it's also you want to do this but you are not sure one two you do not want to take the advisory role that you are supposed to play as the specialist or or you're not listening altogether yes i don't think it's only people who've trained in public relations or communication who are the alpha and omega many times i get advised by people from other fields a medical doctor an engineer but there are certain nuances they have it's just that they don't know what it is called one of the attributes of a good communication practitioner is they must be able to listen and absorb and then use that knowledge they receive to now rework their strategies. And I talked about agility. The other thing is you must be a listener. If you're not a listener, then you're not in relationships. I remember one of my bosses, Chris, she once looked at her pictures, which I had taken of her. First she thanked me, and then she told me, in future, I'd just like you to get me three pictures. Mm -hmm. One where I am engaging with with another human, Two, an over-shoulder where you can see the people I'm speaking to. And three, where I'm, because this is a thought leader, where I am immersed in something. And those have been the best pictures. If I had not listened to her, I'd just be taking my own pictures and insisting they are good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you very much, Lillian, for making the time. Thank you, Chris, and thank you so much for having me. You're a wonderful team. Bye-bye.